And welcome to True Stories of Tinseltown Summer Series. Yay! And our summer series is on sultry brunettes of classic Hollywood. And my lovely co host is here, Miss April Vivier. Hi, April. Hi, Grace. How are you? I am just fine and dandy, and I'm so thrilled we're doing another summer series. Yahoo! Yep, 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 yep. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you tell everybody who we're talking about this week? Um, Today we're talking about a woman who is commonly advertised as the most beautiful woman in the world, Hedy Lamarr. She was quite lovely, but what a life she had, that is for sure. Did you read her biography, her autobiography? I did. The one she says was all fake. It wasn't all fake. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no. That was the truth. It it was her voice. Everything was her. (laughs) She just, she was pretty honest, you know, but it was interesting. Anyway, do you want to get us started? Yeah, so Hetty was actually born Hedwig Ava Marie Maria Keisler um, on November or in November of 1914. I think November 9th. Yeah, November 9th, 1914. Um, she was the only child of Emil Keisler and his wife Gertrude. And she came from a pretty wealthy background. Her Her dad was a bank director. Her mom was a concert pianist, and, you know, she she definitely wasn't struggling, you know, money-wise. The family, you know, didn't struggle. Obviously, this is before World War II. Yes, because they were both Jewish. Both of her they, parents they were Jewish. Were. And um, uh, she was an only child, our Hetty. She was, and, you know, her, her mother, Gertrude, as we're pointing out, converted to Catholicism, and mm-hmm. Hetty was actually raised as a Catholic, mm. um, although she she was never baptized, but she was raised as a Catholic. Oh. Um, Hetty, you know, showed interest in acting in the theater from a pretty young age. When she was 12, she won a beauty contest in Vienna, and her dad was you know, into the sciences and inventing. And that's really where Hetty got her appreciation, I guess we can say, uh, for, you know, science and how to improve the world around her. Isn't that funny, though, that we'll get into that later, but it's pretty amazing, her story. Exactly. Um, She went to a private school, which isn't shocking considering her family's, you know, societal class. Right. And she learned piano, ballet, languages, more science. Uh, It it was, you know, a pretty, pretty elite education, especially for a woman at that time. Yes. Um, so, you know, and then of course, Hetty is just absolutely gorgeous from a very young age. 
And one day, she forges a permission slip from her mom. She goes to a film studio, and she's immediately hired as a script girl. And this would have been when she was about 14 or 15. And, you know, soon she found herself working as an extra. And she got her first speaking part in 1931 in an Austrian-German movie called Storm in a Water Glass. And it's important to know that this would have been, you know, when the Nazis were in power. So she would have had to have been, you know, approved for distribution. But she there's conflicting sources on if she hid her Jewish heritage and that's why she was allowed to work or if they just really didn't care or both, I guess. Yeah. Um, but she she did work in um, you know some, some German films. Uh, Max Reinhardt cast her in his in a play he was doing called The Weaker Sex, and he thought she was just absolutely wonderful. And he arranged for her to come back with him to Berlin. Although unfortunately, she never actually worked with Reinhardt again and didn't appear in any of his you know, Berlin movies. Instead, she got involved with a Russian theater producer named Alexis Granowski, which I'm probably butchering that. Sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah, it sounds great. <laughs> sounds like um, a name. She, yeah. Uh, but she was cast in his directorial debut, um, The Trunks of Mr. O.F., which actually also had Peter Lore in it. I guess it's Lori. I think people say Lori. Peter Lori. Yeah, it's funny. Hattie's Lamar, Peter's Lori, yes. <laughs> um, and, you know, Gran- Granowski actually would go on to Paris to, you know, find work and keep working. But Hetty stayed in Berlin, and she had... I don't want to say a super successful career, but like a solid career. Yeah, she did theater as well. Exactly. And, you know, she she just she did well for herself. And then, of course, in 1932, when Hetty is 17 and 18, mostly 17, she starts work on Gustave Maché's Ecstasy. Which, boy, oh, boy. I wonder if you all know that story, because that's, like, really a huge, heady story. Yeah, so Ecstasy is the first, or considered the first, we don't know, maybe there's another one, but it's considered the first film to show uh, that was non-pornographic to show intercourse and the female orgasm. And you don't see anything besides faces, but at the time, of course, it's super scandalous. Plus, she's naked, and you see her butt running into the water. Yes, yeah. which, which is a very interesting story. Hetty liked to say that she was duped by um, Mashti and that she had no idea it was going to appear, and he used high-powered telephoto lenses <laughs> to get her nude. I don't believe that for a second. Me either. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it made for a good story. She also said, in order for her, because she really did, I mean, she made all these faces and stuff, and the guys said, show us ecstasy, show us sex, and 
allegedly she couldn't, and he put pins in her rear end <laughs> to make her contort her face <laughs> into, you know, ouch, the look of love and ouch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's another one I don't believe, but makes for a good story. Yeah, I've read it in a lot of things, but... Um, you know, well, and I think the thing with that is it makes her seem, you know, very pure and virginal. Like, I didn't know how to make an orgasm face, so I was stuck with a pen. Yeah. You know, and I, I would definitely, you know, say that there, there's a lot of rewriting when you get to Hetty's telling of ecstasy. You know, yes. Yeah. And she was with a major hunk. I don't know who the actor was. But, um, yeah, her husband was old. He didn't really love her. He was a lot older. Maybe he couldn't have sex. Maybe I think he might have been. Right? Did you ever see it? I did. On TCM, you know, Silent Sundays. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's supposed to insinuate that he might be impotent. Yes, that's what I thought. Um, but they, you know, and said, like, they show, oh, well, he doesn't come to their room on their wedding night. Like, they're not going to show him. Of course not. Hi, honey. Happy to see you. Oops. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And they, I know there's something like he has an injury on his, it's been years since I've seen that movie, but it's something like his finger's injured so he can't consummate the marriage, which is ass Very, very, very. You know, but it's just, it's it's one of those things, it's very, you know, it's very scandalous, but certain things are also very 1930s. Really? And it's like, it's nothing today. Give me a break. If anybody saw it, they go, oh, really? Come on, give me a break. this is ridiculous. But then, that was the hugest thing ever, and it was banned by the U.S. government at the time. You know, the, the Pope, everybody had their 25 cents to put in. Oh, yes. The movie is just, it becomes an international, you know, infamous hit. You know, um, the U.S. bans it. Germany bans it. Uh, Germany, the Nazis will eventually allow it after they make some severe cuts two years later. And it's just, it's, it's not a, it's, it's. I'm going to be honest with you. It's very weak. Yeah. It's it's not, you know, like an amazing film. Not in the least. But it's interesting just for historic purposes, I think, to watch it. Because when I did, I had heard so much about it. <clears throat> and I had never seen it. And so, hence, I said, well, I'm up. It's Silent Sundays. And ecstasy is on. I'm going to watch it. And I did. But you're right. Yeah, it wasn't. It, it wasn't any uh, masterpiece. That's for sure. Exactly, and it's just you know I, everyone should watch it just because of its importance to film history. But it's nothing that's you know mm-hmm. wow, this is going to blow your mind. Nape. Um, and Hetty again. This is according to her, which we I think we will prove. You can take certain things she claims throughout her life with a grain of salt, right? But Hetty said that after she made the movie, you know, she felt so betrayed that she just couldn't imagine working in films anymore. Yeah. And she does, 
you know, she does return to the stage after the release of Ecstasy. She stars in a play called Sissy, which is about Empress Elizabeth of Austria. And she's celebrated by the critics. You know, they absolutely love her work. She gets a ton of admirers who are sending her roses every night. Jewelry, all that. (laughs) Unbelievable, yeah. Exactly. She's just swarmed with gifts. And one of these admirers is Frederick Mandel. And Frederick Mandel is an arms dealer. And he basically sits there and works with, you know, all sides. Yeah, he's like, he's a horrible man. And they called him the manufacturer of um, death because he would, you know missiles do that he you know and he was friends with the nazis and um with uh mussolini and all the all the good people to know being facetious yeah exactly and he you know just sits there and he he goes to the highest bidder i think it's the easiest to say that he really doesn't have any morals he's more of a mercenary yeah and he just Which goes to the highest bidder. Perhaps makes him even worse. You know, at least he didn't have any, you know, he didn't believe in anything. And he just did it for money. And that's really gross. It's one thing, if it's all gross. It's all terrible. But when you have no, you know, no stake in it other than getting money and you know what it does, it's, he was just loathsome in many ways. Exactly. He's um, he's the third richest man in Austria as well. And as you point out, Grace, he has ties to Mussolini and later Hitler. And Hetty's parents actually do not approve of him. You know, they're like, you know, why are you going with this guy? He's a horrible person. And Hetty's just like, I'm going to do what I want because I'm 18 and I know what I need in life. Mm-hmm. So they get married on August 10th, 1933, and it's it's a very, you know, it's a huge wedding. Hetty converts to, you know, Catholic, officially converts to Catholicism. But he also has raised. Jewish blood, too. Was his, his mother Catholic or something? But there's something that he was also had Jewish blood in him. Yes, he his dad's Jewish and his mother's Catholic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he very much shuns his Jewish heritage. Mm-hmm. I believe. And, he, yeah, he, he's gross. I think that's the best way to put it. She marries um, him. married. Mm-hmm. And Hetty, there's differing accounts, as there is with everything in Hetty's life. Hetty basically makes it seem like they got married and then he, you know, basically kept her locked in a castle. Right, with bodyguards. And she was living, like, in a huge castle. And people couldn't understand, you know, and he had all these vacation homes and um, she had, I don't know, tons of people to wait on them. I hate when you call people, like your butler and stuff, servants. That bugs me. But she had servants, tons of them. And, um, you know, to people looking in, it might seem that she had everything in the whole world that any woman could want. But that was not the truth. 
No, it, it wasn't. Um, or yes, that is not the truth. I'm agreeing with you. Um, and you know, she she lives this life that's just considered a very dream, you know, life. And she writes that she was, you know, controlled in all aspects. I do think some of her stuff is probably slightly exaggerated. Mm-hmm. She, he, you know, he. Definitely, I mean, he goes through reportedly and he spends 300000 buying every copy of Exe he can find to burn it. He doesn't want people seeing his wife naked. Or uh, in the throes of passion or pin, pin cushions, who knows? Yeah, pin yeah. cushions. Uh, you know, he's just, he, he doesn't want the world to see his wife that way. But they also host very elaborate dinner parties. And supposedly Hitler came to a couple of these. I'm just going to leave that. I don't think there's ever been a picture that, you know, has proven that. But supposedly he was at a couple. Benito Mussolini. Sorry, what was that, Grace? Mussolini as well and other top Nazis. And she would listen. You know, she wouldn't say anything because she's a pretty face. But she would listen to everything going on. And she learned a lot through just sitting there and listening to what these men were saying. Exactly. And she learns that, you know, through these business meetings that he's having with, you know, mostly Nazis, Uh as well as, you know, scientists and, you know, military technology experts, she, she learns even more about science, which I would say her one true love in life was actually science. I agree. And she, you know, sits there and she learns about what's going on in the war. And, you know, eventually she kind of gets a feeling for what's going to happen. And when she immigrates to the United States, she'll, you know, quickly arrange for her mom to come over. But the funny thing is, so she had to escape, you know, had he escape from the palace. <laughs> she had this. So she says she could not get away from him. And. She, um, a maid was her size and she had a day off and she dressed like the maid and went in her maid's car. She shoved all the jewels she could in, in, a, in a basket and off she went and she left and got out of, got out of there. Yeah, no, that, that's Hetty's story with it, um. Frederick Otto's story is that she told Mandel that she had to wear all of her jewelry at once to impress Ernest Staremberg, who was, you know, an Austrian nationalist and politician who was very big on... I read that, too. I, I I think I had the guy on who wrote that. Yeah, so... I mean, personally, I would say that it's probably more likely that one, but the maid story makes for a much better story. Very exciting, and it could have been made into a Hedy Lamar movie. Come on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it no, been most, perfect. Most definitely. I think that's the main thing when we discuss Hetty. Pretty much everything she says is in dispute. Yeah, she uh, exaggerates. She does something. She gets it, yes. and she meets Louis G. B. Mayer through um, an agent. 
Yes, 19, so she arrives in London in thirty in nineteen thirty seven, and Louis B. Mayer is out there scouting for European talent because in the thirties this was very common for you know either the studio heads themselves, um, you know Zanuck will do it as well. Uh, to go out and look for new talent from Europe or, you know, for them to send an agent. But she looks out and she meets Louis B. Mayer himself. And he, you know, he's very enamored with her and he says, you know, I'll, I'll give you $125 a week to come out. And she's like, huh, no, we're not doing that. But what she does, and it's actually a genius move, she books herself on the same boat as him, and she, you know, play does, you know, the song and dance, and she gets herself a $500 a week contract. For seven months, seven years, right? Yes, for, mm-hmm. for seven years, and, you know, Mayer's very, like, like he said, he's very enamored with her. And he does say to her, though, you know, the main thing is we have to change your name because Hedwig Keisler is known as the ecstasy lady. And so they agree to shorten her name to Hetty, and she decides to take her last name from Barbara Lamar, who had been, you know, considered the mo- the girl who is too beautiful. I, you know, I don't know who she is. I have to look her up. She, she very much encapsulates the 1920s. Yeah, I have to check her out just to see the beautiful yeah. woman. You know, it's always like Garbo, whoever, who the most beautiful. But she was very oh, yes. beautiful. We can't take that away from Hattie. She was amazingly gorgeous. Oh, yes. I, I No, she, she definitely was an absolutely gorgeous woman. Um, so, you know... 1938, she finally arrives in Hollywood, and Mayer is instantly promoting her as the world's most beautiful woman. And she, he, he, you know, sits there and he's like, I need to get her in something. I mean, I'm paying her $500 a week. So she's casting Algiers. Did you hear a story on how she got Algiers? What's the story, Grace? I'll let you share it. Oh, Reginald Gardner, she did see. And she said, he wouldn't marry me, but I don't think that's true. I think he would have married her. He, he's like a, you guys know him from um, Christmas in Connecticut or different films. He's like, oh, and what other one? A bunch of them. Anyway, he was like her first boyfriend friend and he knew everybody. So he would take Hetty to all these places and she'd meet um, Joan Crawford and Myrna Loy and all these people. And um, she ended up going to this thing. And one of these things, and all of a sudden she hears an accent. You have, If you are beautiful as you are from behind. Uh, it was Charles Boyer. Sorry for my bad Charles Boyer impersonation. And she turns around, oh, I knew you were. And so he he was telling her about Algiers, and she wanted to make it, and he wanted her to be the leading lady. So that's from Hetty's book. Hetty is a great story. 
Um, the official version is that Mayer introduced her to Walter Wanger, who thought she'd be perfect for Algiers. And he was married to Joan Bennett at the time. Yes, which... We know how that turned out. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Poor Joan Bennett. She just... She had the worst luck. She did. Uh, But however she got it, uh, Hetty, you know, obviously got the part. And it's not advertised with you know, so much her name, because no one's going to know who Hetty Lamar is. But they heavily insinuate who she is by saying well-publicized Austrian actress. So it's, it's, I mean, you can kind of put, you know, two and two together on it, who it's going to be. Yeah, and they want to see her, even if she's in clothes. (laughs) Even if she's in clothes. And... Mayor has hopes that she's going to become the next Garbo or Dietrich. And I have to say, I mean, I don't think she ever quite reaches those heights. Me, she, uh, my opinion is she really was not a good actress. That's my opinion. She was okay. She was okay. And she got the job done that she had to do. That's just my opinion, everybody. Beat me if I, you must. <laughs> no, I have to agree with you on that. I think, I don't think she... She's very gorgeous, mm-hmm. and that carries you far, especially in film. Right. She's very flat. Exactly. You know, it's sort of like may, she needed somebody to be sticking her butt with pins her career, <laughs> you know, because her face, you know, even in all her, I found only a couple pictures of Hetty smiling. And, you know, just there are some people that are so gorgeous, they're, you don't think that they're like va 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 voom because there's no oomph to them, no spark. It's like you said, a flat effect. I'm so beautiful. I'm so beautiful. I'm so beautiful. I'm so beautiful. And that was it. But it wasn't um, not her fault. But she wasn't. You know, they didn't care that she wasn't a great actress. Exactly. I mean, she really, you know, I think she sums herself up pretty well, you know, with her to be glamorous. You just have to stand still and look stupid. Yes. But she also later in her book said she considers herself a cross between Judy Garland and Greta Garbo. Where she ever got that from? (laughs) Like, huh? Oh, first, I don't think humility is one thing anyone can ever accuse Hattie Lamar of. No, she's talking about all the trysts she has, like over 100 men and women and whoever. Yeah, Hattie was pretty vain. Yeah, no, most definitely. Um, And, of course, you know, people see her on screen and someone who went to, you know, a screening of the film says everyone just gasped because of how beautiful she looked. And she's, this is really going to set the tone for her career. It's going to be based on her appearance. It's never going to be based on her acting abilities. Never. It's it's just going to be, you know, like, look how gorgeous she is. And I think, you know, you really can see it, which we'll go back to what's having her personal life in a second during this time. But I think you can really see it in Ziegfeld Girl. 
Because I would say Lana Turner is just as pretty, just in a different way. Exactly. But Lana Turner isn't flat. Not at all. And she's not a great actress, but I like her. I like her film. I like not all of her films, but I like watching Lana because she's got, you know, a few other faces. And Judy was great. And Hattie really wanted this part, but boy, oh boy. Um, You know, she, she got the starring role, but she certainly was not the star. Oh no, she she falls flat next to the other two. Right, it's just there's no there's no comparison. Mm-mm. But of course, that's a few years later right. than why we're talking. Um, 1939 is an interesting year for Hetty. So she, you know, Algiers is released. She's very, you know, popular. Um. Or, and this is 1938, sorry, excuse me. 1938, Algiers is released. She becomes popular. And she also becomes pregnant by John Loder, who is also an actor. And she secretly gives birth on June 9th, 1939. And then shortly afterwards, she marries Jean Markey, who went out with everybody possible. No, you're kidding me. She said she she adopted little guy, and she didn't say that it was Jane, uh, John Loder's kid. Wow, I never heard that. Oh, yeah, he, he talks about it in the... Their son talks about it in the bombshell documentary. Huh. He didn't find out that he was actually Hetty's biological child until after she died. Wow. Um, but she, you know, of course, it's a huge thing if she would have had this, you know, child. So she secretly, you know, gives birth and then they do the quote unquote adoption. Mm-hmm. And she's married to Jean until 1941. And then in 1943, she actually marries the father of her son, son John Loder. That's fascinating. She's um, she's very interesting, mm-hmm. uh, which, I, I mean, I guess we can go this. So they have their son, and she cuts him off at 12. Son's name is James. And she just, she cuts him off at 12 and they're estranged. She sends him off to a boarding school and wants nothing to do with him. Hetty is never going to be mother of the year. It's so funny because you read her book. <laughs> and I know this isn't true that she was mother of the year. But she she made it seem like, you know, they were my children. I didn't share them. I was all about my kids. And that wasn't the truth. And now no, that, that certainly wasn't the truth. No, she she does have a better relationship with Denise and Anthony. Mm-hmm. Um, her other two children, who are both by Loader, she's married, what, five times, six times? Six times, but yeah. She has all of her children with Loader. And, who was a know, very handsome dude, and he was an actor. He wasn't like a big star, but he, um, you'll know him from now, Voyager. He played Betty Davis's um, upper crust Boston for just a little while fiance who got shocked, simply shocked, clutched the pearls when Betty in her character says, let's get some more bohemian. And then she tells him a story about getting drunk and she could lose her inhibitions. And I know I sound rather depraved. He thought so too. And he kind of dumps her and she dumps him. She doesn't love him. But it was, it's a funny part. Oh, dear. Hmm. 
And um, he was in another Betty Davis film um, with, what's her face? Miriam Hopkins, um, where they play two best friends. One becomes like this author. uh, Betty's a serious author, and her friend becomes this, like, uh, I don't know, who would you, Jackie Collins writer or something like that. And she's married to John Luder. There's other films you can find him in. Yeah, no, I mean, he's he's a solid actor, not really remembered for anything today. No. I mean, besides his marriage to Hetty, but he he, per, he delivers when he needs to. Right, he's fine. Exactly, he, he's a great support. So, you know, they're married, and they have two more kids, and their marriage only lasts four years. But they, you know, they, they make it work. And Hetty is cast after, you know, she gives birth to the secret baby. She, you know, just pretty much steadily works. She makes uh, Boomtown with Clark Gable. Oh, I have to say funny if anyone goes to my True Stories of Tinseltown page, you know I would every so often put a wiki feet, um, what size somebody's feet are, in um, just every once in a while. Okay, wiki feet alert. And so, and it's a real website. April goes there too because they do have good pictures. It's all people showing their feet, but they really have some good um, good shots of classic Hollywood stars. But this is one thing Hetty writes that Clark Cable comes into her dressing room, and um, I guess she wasn't wearing shoes, or maybe she was, and he starts licking her toes. <laughs> Sorry, that cracked me up. Oh. <laughs> um, well... Their screen pairing goes very well. Yes. Off screen as well. And they, you know, they're also paired together in Comrade X. Which was uh, sort of a takeoff of Ninochka. That that movie uh, made money as well, didn't it? It did. It was it was definitely a hit. I mean, Boom, Boomtown and Comrade X are both huge hits. I like Boomtown. Kind of long, I, but I like it. I like it. Boomtown too. I think it's a, it's a pretty solid movie. Not gonna say it's my favorite movie. Mine either. <laughs> Not my top ten or twenty or thirty or forty or fifty, but it's a good movie. Yeah. No. Exactly. Um, then she goes uh, into Come Live with Me in nineteen forty one, which has you know kind of I don't want to say up and comer, but you know. Famous, but not as famous as he'll eventually be, Jimmy Stewart. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, as we talked about, she also does Zeekfield Girl that year, which has Judy Garland and Lana Turner. And it's I, it's not the beginning of the end, but I do think that it's a movie that people start to notice that she can't quite hold her own mm-hmm. against you know, really big personalities. No, when she's walking down and she's wearing that fancy, you know, that humongous headpiece, you know, there's just nothing. It's just this blank beauty, you know, walking downstairs and you don't go, for me, you know, maybe men do, but as a woman, you know, I can tell when someone's walking downstairs and I go, boy, hubba hubba, honey. And I don't do that with her, (laughs) you know. No, most definitely. And, you know, they 
she starts getting put in, especially I think the most famous, you know, film that exemplifies this is probably White Cargo, where she plays Tom DeLeo, <laughs> uh, 1942 film. And she is taught building. I mean, she beats out Walter Pigeon. But, and then of course, she delivers her most famous line I am Tondaleo, I make Tiffin for you. But it really, she starts getting put in these quote unquote exotic roles. Yes. Um, and I do think part of that is to explain her accent, especially, you know, with the war with, you know, Germany and Austria raging. It, it you know make makes sense that that's what they're going to you know put her in, but you'll you'll see especially in her later movies with MGM they're really not putting her in a, anything with a whole lot of substance. Well, she's one of her favorite films is H M Pullman X Esquire, and she plays a copywriter, um, and her co-star is uh, Robert. Rob Young. Young, yes. And um, they meet again when they're older, but they were in love when they were younger. She didn't want to get married, whatever, and they think they're going to take it up. And people, like critics wrote, that was her best role, best acting role, and she was fabulous in this. And Hetty liked it very much, too. Yes, no, m- most definitely. And um, it's worth knowing that H.M. Poem Esquire comes out before White Cargo. Because after White Cargo, there, there's really not a whole lot. Um, her last movie with MGM will actually be a few years later. It's 1945, and she makes Her Highness and the Bellboy with Robert Walker. And it's a romantic comedy, and she's, you know... a quote-unquote European princess who falls in love with a New Yorker. It's a very cliche June Allison co-star. Isn't she crippled in that? She can't walk for Mm -hmm. some reason? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's it's not a great movie. No. (laughs) Definitely not. It it does well. It's a popular film, but MGM at that point is just kind of like, well, you know, we, we don't see a whole lot that we're going to do with her. Um, but I do want to point out, during the war years, Hetty worked a lot to help, you know, yeah. the American war effort. Yeah, she had it written down. What she make, $25 million for uh, in war bonds? Yeah, in just 10 days. Amazing. She, she had this little routine she would do with a sailor, and he went with her to every stop. Um, but he would be in the crowd, and they would act like he was just there. And then they'd flirt, and if people bought enough war bonds, she would kiss him. And then he'd go back in the audience, and then they'd get on the train and go to the next stop. But, you know, she she did do a lot with that. And, of course, her most famous thing now during the war is she invents, or co-invents, I should say, because I, I don't want to keep George and Hill out. She invents, or co-invents, frequency hopping spread spectrum, which is actually, she hopes that it's going to help with torpedoes. Scramble it, because they were not doing well in the Atlantic. Germany was, they knew when um, when the torpedoes were coming and they couldn't do anything and that was to scramble it 
and so that they wouldn't know, and by the time they knew, it was too late. Exactly. And the other thing is the U.S. has um, radio-controlled torpedoes as well, and they're very easily, like you said, they're very easily tracked, and they can, you know, be jammed, the Mm -hmm. the American ones especially. So the idea is that this will, you know, scramble it so that the Germans can't jam the torpedoes. And um, she she basically, she goes to the war office and she's like, here this is, you know, this is great. They file a patent and DC's just like, no. I know. Oh, yeah, right. To him, you know, he's a pianist, sort of avant-garde. And here's Hedy Lamar. Yeah, we're going to buy it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. The, the government's just like, no. And it's not going to be until 57 that the, you know, technology is utilized. And, you know, Hetty really doesn't get paid for anything. She will, you know, later years she'll get a little something. But at the time, I mean, she's not paying anything. She's not even acknowledged. Which is horrifying. It. Yeah, because the patent ran out. You know, really? Come on. Exactly, and you know she she invents some other things too. I mean, like I said, the most popular thing is the frequency hopping spread spectrum. But she has other little inventions she makes, like a carbonated tablet that, if you dissolve it in water, would make it you know a carbonated beverage that even Hetty herself said tastes like Alka Seltzer. <laughs> Um, she also works on improving, you know, spot, the spot, stoplights. She, she makes, you know, quite a few things, but of course we know more so about the frequency hopping because it lays the foundation for modern Wi-Fi. And, um, but you know, like we said on, as far as her career, 1945, MGM's done with her. They basically, you know, wash their hands of her. So she and Loader go out and they form the Mars Corporation, which is an independent movie production company. And um, they they do have partners on it. And I shouldn't say Loader's super involved with it, but, uh, but they do have partners in it. Jack Chertok and Hunt Stromberg. Mm-hmm. And she makes probably, I would say, her strongest films, um, which are The Strange Woman and Dishonored Lady. They're both noirs, they're and, both dark. And I think they're they, both on uh, public domain. Yes, they are also both on public in public domain. Dishonored Lady um, is. The print is atrocious, but it's really good. And The Strange Woman is also very good. And Hetty's good in them. Yeah, they're very much, they match her acting style and her talents. Mm -hmm. No one's trying to put her into anything that she's, you know, just not a good fit for. Um, But, of course, Hollywood's like, no, you can't go off and do that. And, you know, her her film's promotion really does get kind of stopped in its tracks. Um, But it is worth noting that both films do make more than their budgets, but it's nothing. No one's going to sit there and say it's the film of the year. Um, you know, and then her later work in the 40s and 50s, I mean, it's, 
It's pretty subpar, to be honest with well, you, I've, with the exception of Sam Snendel. Yeah, I think that was the last of note, definitely. And it was, it was a huge hit. Cecil B. DeMille directed, and Hetty played, of course, Delilah. And that big uh, beefcake dude, Victor Mature with the big lips, he played um, Samson. And the funny part about him, I'd love to do a show on him, he was like, Whenever anything came for anything, you know, these poor lions are toothless. He wouldn't even, you know, pretend to do it. He wouldn't, you know, jump, you know, his, his um, but, you know, the other guy, the stunt man would have to do it. So he just said, I ain't doing it. And so, you know, it ain't him doing this poor, uh, wrestling this poor toothless lion, <laughs> tranquilized toothless lion. So it just kind of makes me laugh because he's like, you know, like a grown up Bam Bam or something, but (laughs) not good. It's it's not an exceptional film, but for the time, of course, it's wonderful. And, you know, the biblical epic is used to put women as scantily clad as possible. Right. And she, Angela Lansbury was in that. She, she is indeed in it. And it's gorgeous. Gorgeous film of 1950. Yeah. Um, you know, and Hetty looks absolutely radiant. Um, you know, and it's, I, I will say this DeMille works on showcasing Hetty the best he can. Mm-hmm. And I think it really helped because you can see that he wants her to, you know, look as great as possible. Um, but, you know, uh, after Samson and Delilah, she goes back to MGM for a one-off. You know, she's now freelancing. She makes a movie called The Lady Without Passport, and it just flops. I it's can't even think of. Flops. Oh, that's right. She's in. Um, she's in the tropics again, right? Yeah, and she's like a concentration camp refugee. It's. It it was a very tone deaf film. It's just, it, it, it wasn't, you know, I could see why it flopped. Um, and then, you know, she she makes Copper Canyon in My Favorite Spy, the latter, which is with Bob Hope. And they do well, but I don't think they do well really because of her. They do well because of, you know, her co-stars and how she's marketed. Right. That she's a straight Um, guy. She said, I can't be funny to Bob Hope. And he said, you don't have to be. You just have to be gorgeous. You have to be the straight person. And that's it. I think that made some money, didn't it? Because of him, I'm sure. some money. And as much as she hated the idea of, you know, stand still and look stupid, I mean, it worked for her. I think it's funny Um, because she thinks the other films... That she did, but she did stand still and and look stupid. And I was reading it and some of the stuff saying that they said you're not the sexy type. You look virginal. I'm like, this is in Hetty's book. I'm like, in whose eyes does Hetty Lamar look virginal? You know, I don't yeah. know. She doesn't. It's, it's Hetty's world, and we're just all in it. <laughs> we rotate. Um. You know, and then she goes off, her career's declining, she goes off to Italy, she produces a movie called Loves of Three Queens, and the movie is absolutely horrific. 
It's just, it's, she loses millions of dollars on it because she can't even secure distribution. Oh, is that when she's married to the guy who later married, um, what's her name? Jean Tierney? Howard Lee. Didn't he finance? Maybe it was the last movie she did there that he financed. Yeah. Yeah. No. He he finances it. He he finances with it, and she puts her some of her own money into it too, and it just flops. She does. She doesn't know what she's doing, and I, you know, I'm not trying to trivialize because I love that she was able to, you know, make um, like you know, form her own production company, and you know, go on and do her own thing. But she just. She was in over her head with that. And, you know, she she comes back to the U.S. They put her in the story of mankind. It fails. She does, you know, a few episodes of television. Uh, she appears in a Shower of Stars special. And in 1958, she makes her last film, which is called The Female Animal. Did you ever see it? <laughs> it's it's not a good movie. No, it's, it's fun to watch, though. It, it is. It is fun to watch, but it's just, it's not a good movie. Um, and that's... That's it. You know, she she spends exactly 20 years in Hollywood and, you know, really the last, you know, about 10 years of it are just a bunch of hits and misses, mostly misses. And then she gets older, of course, and, and she thought that they would welcome her back with open arms when she went to Italy, but they didn't. Along with that, Hetty had horrific plastic surgery done. If you saw her surgery, I mean... Th- they put like I guess cheekbones, but they were pointed and weird, and they totally distorted her beauty. And she was, you know, it, I don't know if she saw that. I guess not because she was still being, you know, going around. But she really had bad surgery. That's for sure. No, most definitely. Poor Hattie. And she, I mean, she just she dyes her hair like that brassy blonde. Yes. And she just, she horribly ages herself. And Hetty eventually becomes a recluse. The only time she's out in public is when she's shoplifting. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. She, uh, she did it in she L.A. Becomes, first. <laughs> yeah. No, she just, she becomes a recluse. She won't even see her kids mm-hmm. towards the end of her life. She just sits on the phone. For you know, six to seven hours a day, and she starts suing people. And she also complains because Robert Osborne um, wrote about Hetty that you know they were friendly, and she would call him on the phone. And finally, he had to to just stop because she would call him in the middle of the night. Woe is her. Never, you know, like how are you, Robert? Oh, now about me, and go on for like two or three hours and think it's okay. And he said, I couldn't do it. You know, I couldn't. And people, he said he was walking with Hetty, and people would say, you're Hetty Lamar? No way. You know, and they were really cruel um, because that's how some people are, stupid and cruel. And I think that... Um, pretty much made her scurry home, except for that shoplifting, like you said. Little things. And she had checks in her pocketbook. Yeah, no, and I mean, she was more than capable of paying for it, but she just, she, 
I think she had a very hard time with aging. And I think it just, you know, she started getting a bunch of plastic surgery and it just made her, you know, her didn't mental make, health yeah. declined. She didn't look younger. She looked just worse because they, I don't know who he was. He should have been sued. And um, she just did not look good. He, he cut across her face. And funny, all the years, you know, I'm so beautiful, I'm so beautiful. And then when it comes to the point, ouch, you know, people aren't yeah. looking at me anymore. You know, this is how, or when they do, they tell me, you can't be Eddie Lamar, you're ugly or something like that. Which, yeah, and I mean, she's treated horribly. And I, I do think that's an important thing to point out, Grace. Yes. So I appreciate you pointing out, like, she is genuinely treated horribly. And she keeps getting plastic surgery thinking it's going to fix everything. Mm-hmm. And of course it doesn't. Um, but, you know, Hetty. Especially, you know, when she just she starts doing a bunch of really frivolous lawsuits. Uh, Sixty six, she sues her publishers, saying that she had nothing to do with ecstasy and me, and that Leo Guild, her ghostwriter, who actually was very a very well respected ghostwriter, just filled in a bunch of stuff, and she basically had no input on it. I do her not lawsuit. believe that for one second. I, I don't either, but her loss, and apparently, of course, don't either, because, you know, her she loss just gets thrown out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in 66, she's arrested for the first time for shoplifting. 91, she's arrested again for this shoplifting. This time she's in Florida, right? Yes, it's when she's in Florida, and she's stealing, like, you know, $25 worth of laxatives and eye drops. Oh, my, and sometimes Maybelline. Yeah. <laughs> no, and she doesn't yeah. go out. And she, she has enough money, but I think it's, you know, safe to say that her mental health was just completely deteriorated. Well, that's point. that's what um, my the Robert Osborne said. He said... You know, she was mentally, having mentally, uh, mental problems. You know, she was, her mental health was not great. Yet, he wanted to help her, but she was bringing him down and sucking. You know, we know these people who call us on the phone and, you know, how are you? But then it's all about them for two hours. They're emotional vampires. And he felt for Hetty, but he said, I, I had to walk away from it because it was just you know, I had headaches. It was bringing me down. And um, that's how I see it with Hetty. You know, it, woe is me, you know, and she's woeing is me a lot. And I don't really get the shoplifting. I, I don't know what that's about. I mean, that's interesting when people shoplift yeah, you know, and their money. I think money. sometimes some of it, it's like when Winona Ryder had her thing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just... There's a mental break, and people, you know, just act on impulse, and, you know, they get the rush from it. Um, but, you know, when she's not having those issues, like I said, she's she's she just starts, like, these frivolous lawsuits. Um, you know, famously in 74, she files a $10 million lawsuit against Warner Brothers, for putting Hedley Lamar in, or, you know, oh, Mel, yeah, Brooks Mel Brooks yeah. <laughs> in Blazing Saddles. And Warner Brothers does end up settle with her. I'm sure she got, you know, like 100000 And they, you know, issue a public apology for almost using her name. You know, it's silly. And 
Yeah, and then, you know, 1981, she moves to Miami Beach, and she basically, like we said, she just becomes a recluse. She she doesn't really go out, you know, that much. Like you said, you know, except to shoplift every day, exactly. every now and again, yeah. Yeah, every now and then she shoplifts. Um, 96, you know, Corel... Uh, enter you know host this contest and someone does an image of her that wins the contest and they put it on their you know box for their software and she sues and she does win that lawsuit too you know in 1998 but again i mean i'm sure she's getting like six figures on these right it's not billions but yeah she really didn't have much money towards the end, did she? I mean, she had enough, but she wasn't really wealthy. I mean, she wasn't one of these people who had like $100 million in the bank. But, I mean, I, she was comfortable. I wouldn't say she was wealthy, but she was comfortable. Because in her book, she's saying how, you know, she had to scrounge and she would go to the bakery and buy day-old bread and <laughs> things like that. Yeah, so, books. I don't her know. Books. No, I think if I could remember correctly, I mean, her estate was worth like a couple million dollars. Did she leave it to her kids? She did leave it to her kids, but not the one she cut out. A poor kid. Um, But, you know, she she does finally, though, 97 Wyland, which is a Canadian company, gets 49 percent of the marketing rights to her patent. And, you know, she received that's the first and only time she receives any type of compensation for her frequency hopping. That's Um, a shame. It happened so late, you know, that she couldn't get that money. And do that. You know, it's just kind of crazy. Oh, some of the movies, Hattie said that she turned down, perhaps she did, Laura, but she thought it was just kind of boring, Casablanca, Gaslight. She did not like Ingrid Bergman. She told a real story about her in her book, how mean Ingrid was to her husband, and um, Rossellini was at the party. And she, you know, he, she embarrassed her husband, which I can believe Ingrid did that because she didn't treat him very nicely. She cheated on him all the time. And he put up with it. And um, she came up to him and said, uh, give me the keys. He's going to drive me home, Rossellini. And the rest was history. So there's a couple of good stuff <laughs> in Hetty's book. Yeah, she's, she's a fabulous storyteller. Yeah, you'll enjoy I, I it. I will say that. Some of it gets um, boring, but when she gets into some of the stuff, she doesn't like women. That's one thing she makes clear. She doesn't like oh, women. No, she, she definitely doesn't. But couple couple other things that I always enjoy from Hetty Lamar's, you know, mysteries and scandals, <laughs> I guess. Uh, but I don't believe it all was that she would, one is that she was the, you know, basis for Snow White. And the other was that she was the basis for Catwoman. And these stories just get repeated. There's no proof of anything. I've never heard that. And when did Snow White come out? Like, Hetty wasn't even in Hollywood yet, was she? No, Snow White comes out in 37, 38. And supposedly Walt Disney saw a secret print of ecstasy and base the character of Snow White on Hetty. It's the most asinine story, but, you know, people like to repeat it. 
you know, same thing with the Catwoman story. I've, you know, it's in um, a biography on Hetty, and I've never seen anything to support the story. But, of course, it gets, you know, shared everywhere. And, you know, people like to say, oh, she was the base. A Catwoman would be a little more believable because she comes out in 1940. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that, you know, Walt Disney had his issues, but I don't think he was looking at Secret Prince of Ecstasy for inspiration for Snow White, especially being she was described in the fairy tale. Wow. Hattie's lovely. I love some of her quotes. She said um, on Trade Winds, in the movie Trade Winds, this is when Joan Joan Bennett really became a star because she dyed her hair brown. And she was much more uh, stunning as a brown than she was was with a blonde. But Hattie says, with her hair styled and colored like mine, she copied my stills. (laughs) Oh. On the set of yeah, Sam, so, hmm? Oh no, I was just going to say that I, I don't think Joan Bennett was copying Hattie. No, they wanted her to change her hairstyle, but you know, right? You know, and you know, I don't, I don't dislike Hattie. I don't agree with a lot of her life decisions, but I don't dislike. I her. don't and dislike I, her. Part of me feels sorry for her. The most beautiful woman in the world. She said, "I was once the most beautiful woman in Hollywood, and I was the best paid." And that wasn't true. You know, oh, she no, made that up. You know, maybe debatably, people would say, but there were so many lovely, gorgeous women in Hollywood. It depended on your taste. But you know, Hattie, I'm not going to say was she was absolutely beautiful, but. I know for a fact she was not um, the most well-paid actress in the studio. That's just not the truth. No, exactly. And that's the thing with Hetty. Hetty likes, you know, Hetty's main thing is promoting Hetty. And Hetty, you know, her, her kids have been very open about the fact that she was a very difficult person to live with. And doesn't mean that her kids don't love her, but, you know, it does take a certain type of person to cut off your son when he's 12 and send him to a boarding school and then to basically go live with strangers. Well, that's what uh, Barbara Stanwyck did to her adopted son as well, you know, which really was terrible. You know, a lot of these women are not meant to be mothers, but if you read Hattie's book, she was like mother of the year and, oh, she loved the pregnancy and the glow and carrying life and everything. And when she div- uh, this I, I heard on the documentary and read that when Hetty wanted to divorce, he wasn't, John Loder bored her. She said he would fall asleep while she was talking. Well, maybe she, like Robert Osborne, she was talking too damn long. And he went to sleep. Anyway, she said towards the end he wasn't, you know, they weren't really having sex. So she had to seduce him because she wanted another baby. And she got pregnant very, very soon after she had her daughter. And she went into John Loder, who's sitting in it, reading and sitting in his easy chair. And she said to him, John, I'm pregnant and I want a divorce. (laughs) That's sweet. Yeah, no. And I mean, that one probably. I think that's true. He said, you are a cold biatch. That's what he said to her. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I mean, that story sounds like a true story. 
Yeah, because I read it a bunch of places, and I saw it on documentaries as well. Yeah, no, that that one sounds like something she would do. And I think, you know, whether you like her or hate her or love her, it's one of those things. I think everyone can agree that Hetty did it her own way, and she was going to get what she wanted when she wanted it. Because she was so used to it, because she was so beautiful. And I can see how women, you know, when you, yes, she was incredibly intelligent and an inventor, but she put more on her beauty. I know beautiful women who get older and they really lose it and they get too much. They get the lips, the fish lips, they do this, and they're not old enough to even be doing this yet, which makes them look older and yucky. But they're so obsessed with their looks because they've always been told, you're so beautiful, you're this, you're the most beautiful woman in the world. All of a sudden, Hetty just ain't. And it, it exactly. takes and a I, toll. Exactly. And that's where I really sympathize with her because it, I can't imagine, you know, being built up almost strictly based on your appearance. Yep. And then, you know, you have to deal with aging and, of course... You know, one one thing I will say with, you know, the likes of Joan Crawford and Betty Davis, even though they made some horrible movies towards the end, they both had, you know, established their acting laurels. Yes. And they they had, you know, been able to say, you know, oh, like, you know, I'm more than being attractive. I mean, really, same with Lana Turner. She had been able to, even though she's not the best actress you ever see, she had been able to establish that she could play, you know, multiple types. Which was fun. That's why I liked Lana. Lana was fun. She was not a great actress, but she, you know, like Imitation of Life or any of these films. And the one where there's, she marries a beach bum, Cliff Robertson, who's like 72. No, he's probably about 40, but he was a beach bum or whatever. But Betty and Joan and the other women, you know, they, they aged, they, they looked a lot older than they were, um, but they aged and they, you know, didn't try to be young and try to be whatever, you know, and, you know, as much as people don't like Joan, I still think she was a good actress. I still watch movies of hers and go, you know, I don't know why people thought she stunk. You know, some movies she did, and other movies she was really quite good. Exactly, and I think that's, you know, the the rub of it right there is that, you know, you can establish yourself based on your talents or based on your appearance, and luckily a lot of women went with, you know, the talents aspect, even though they were gorgeous. Yeah, and think about it. Um, do you know anybody like that? I do, like I say, my friend who, you know, sort of heady-ish right now, <laughs> and she is getting these lip stuff. She's not even close to being old. But yeah, you know, her looks have changed, but she's still gorgeous, and she would be much more gorgeous if she didn't do all this crap to her face. It's so silly. But she's kind of losing it, too. You know, it's sort of like when you base... And I always said, I am so blessed that I did not have to base my life on my looks. You know, mm-hmm. I really do. I mean, she was my best friend in high school. You know, I was white out. You know, if we were best friends, I would be thought really, really cute. But she was gorgeous, you know, so, you know, who cares? But I loved her anyway. You know, most people won't be friends with someone who's 
gorgeous, but, um, you know, I had to develop other things in my life, my personality, other things like that than just for three hours sitting in the mirror. She got up two and a half hours before school, high school started, so she could do her makeup and her hair for freaking high school. I mean... Yeah, no, and there's, you know, there there's... It's a different existence, I think. That You know, it's just there's different existence with that. And I think, you know, it's it's hard to deal with it, you know, with aging when so much is put on you by others with your appearance. And it definitely, I think this is the thing with Hetty. You, they, you know, form a complex about it because everyone's constantly talking about their physical appearance. You know, it's the same thing with people who, you know, are considered smart or funny. I mean, they hone what they're complimented on. Right. And the, you know, thing with being smart or funny is they, for the most part, you're always going to have that. But if right. you're based on your appearance, it's a fleeting thing. And like I said, they're like, you know, Lana Turner was very intelligent, had a great personality. And I think, you know, it really helped her in her later life because she had been so well liked. But she also though- had a lot of va 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 when she, I talked to David Selby, who did um, Falcon Crest, and Lana, he was cute. His mother loved Lana, and she signed a book for him. And she said, Lana, like the ex-sex pot, would still be running around having her. She had her um, dressing room open, and she'd be wearing a towel. And you know what I mean? She still, I mean, thought she was a hot mama. You know what I mean? No, exactly. And I think, you know, the thing with Lana is her personality got her far, whereas with Hetty... I mean, obviously, I don't know Hetty, and I'm not trying to downplay her as a person, but I don't think she ever really develops the personality that went over well with no. American audiences. Well, she just doesn't if, seem like a barrel of laughs, let's put it that way. Exactly. I think if she had, you know, returned to Europe and really focused on, you know, her European career, not tried to, you know, do an epic that she's self-funding with no distribution. I think if she had focused on her, you know, European career, getting back into that, she probably would have had a happier career because it would have put her outside of her comfort zone. Yes. And it, you know, aging and not to be um, just saying it's hard to age when you're gorgeous. I think it's harder because that's all you think about. It's hard to age for all of us. You know, we're getting, you know, we get older, we see whatever, but we're grateful that we're still here. <laughs> you know, I, I ain't 80, 70, 60, 50, whatever I am. You know, I'm grateful. And, but aging is not, you know, it ain't the, it's simple for just other fe- people too, but for, People who just depend on their looks, God help you, you know? Right. Well, and I think it's harder, too, because their looks are, you know, with Hetty, in Hetty's case, her looks are tied so closely to her career, too. It's not just, you know, that she's going play, you know, social events and people go, oh, you're so pretty, and she's trying to keep her appearance up for that. It's also her career. And so then being, you know, I, w- I think there's multiple, you know, 
characters at play in this. It's not just Hetty. It's also, you know, MGM's limiting her as well. And people but on I the think- street are going, oh, you're not Hetty Lamar. Ooh, you're, you look awful. You can't be her. You're ugly. Blah, blah, well, blah, blah, exactly. Blah, blah. And I think, you know, <laughs> she doesn't develop, you know, her acting skills like she could have. And then, of course, you know, when her looks fade, her career starts to fade. And also... You know, it's over because Marilyn Monroe, you know, there's like a, I think almost like a 10 year cycle for people and what they want. And then, you know, Hetty was in and then Marilyn and the blonde bombshells and all those people were in. And then Marilyn was out because it was becoming straight haired, groovy, hippie people, you know, so it's, it's just the way of the world, especially in Hollywood, you take what you can when you get it. But unfortunately for women, much, much more than men, um, the clock ticks faster for you. Most definitely. So when did she uh, move to Florida? I'm trying to think. Uh, 1981, and she passes away in 2000, and her son, James, figures out that she was his biological mother in 2001. How did he figure that one out? He found his birth certificate. Jeez. And um, it it has, you know, it had all of his information. He found his, you know, paperwork. It had all of his information. How horrible. Yeah, no, and I mean, like I said, she'd been horrible to him. Um, just very, very difficult person to deal with. Yes, and she didn't see her kids. They didn't see her for years. She would talk to them on the phone only. She wouldn't let them come visit. And um, so if she, so she died, they say, of natural causes. So I, how old was she? She was like 84 or 85. 85, and she passed from heart disease. That's what I figured. But she was basically alone for 20 years or or definitely 80 on that's all that's 20 years almost amazing yeah no she just she you know went to seclusion and just hung on the phone and then you know after she passed away her kids did organize her funeral part of her ashes were scattered in the austrian forest and the other part were buried in austria mm-hmm. and um they got her money. I hope the three. I hope the three got her money. Uh, I be- if I remember correctly, she only left money to the two. Mm, to a, her second and third child. Beastly. She didn't leave money to James. That's very beastly. She's a she's a very complicated person. Just, I don't dislike her, and, and April doesn't. You know, we're not trying to be mean to Hetty. This is just her life. We're talking about what her life was. And, um, you know, she, she pretty much got what she wanted as long as she was gorgeous. And then, boom, it's taken away. And life is not, you know, a bed of roses anymore. But she, um, she made it. She was brilliant doing that other thing, even though she didn't get credit for it at the time, and they didn't use it. She was beautiful. She was not good at marriage, that's for sure. <laughs> I don't think she would have been the easiest woman to live with. And, um, you know, she wasn't the best mother. But, you know, she. we know her name, right? We all know her name. And she is beautiful. 
Yeah, I mean, she's, you know, she's forever going to, you know, she's forever captured at the absolute, you know, peak of her physical beauty and you know she she has that legacy yeah so and i to be honest with you i think that's how she would have wanted it i agree and um yeah because her looks meant everything to her and on celluloid she always looked fabulous and um it meant everything to her her beauty i think even more than her her intelligence i think her beauty obviously was what she really banked on and got her head obviously exactly so we were i don't i like i like hattie because of she's a character she's heady she's whatever but you know she's not my favorite actress i'm not gonna lie but i find her fascinating most definitely Okay, so I think we did good with our Hetty. Tell uh, our audience who is our next sultry brunette of classic Hollywood. So we are actually jumping to Lupe Vela's The Mexican Spitfire. Love her. Can't I have to do some studying. I know a lot of stuff, but I've got to hit a book. So I'm going to be studying Miss Lupe. But she, she had a fascinating life, and she had a, a, a short life, but very, very interesting. She lived a life while she lived, that's for sure. Most definitely. And we're going to talk about Elizabeth Taylor, sans husbands, but with husbands. We're going to talk about her life. Hetty thought she was not beautiful, not cute. She thought she was fat. <laughs> Overweight. Didn't like anyone. She didn't like women too much. So she just didn't like women, that's all. And she admits it, I don't know, about 25 times in her book. Okay, we get it, we get it. You don't like women. <laughs> we heard you. You know, I feel sorry for women who don't like women because they always, you know, life is always a beauty pageant, and that's not how it should be. So um, we're talking loopy, and we're going to be talking to lots of other groovy, sultry brunettes. And we thank you so much for listening to our summer series. And I thank you, April, for being the grooviest chick. And we just thank the listeners. Yay. Yeah, no, thanks so much for having me, Grace. I had a great time. Yes, you're the best co-host I have, and I love our series. Yay. Ditto. Okay, so next week. We'll be there. I'll be posting this in the next couple days. You don't even know what day it is. Today is Sunday. And hopefully, I'm trying to do it consistently. I put it out Wednesday, but I'd really like to do it Tuesday. So hopefully you'll be listening to this in a couple days. And I think you will be. So thank you, everybody. And thank you, Miss April, for being the best. I so, so appreciate it. Thanks, Grace. No, I had a lot of fun. Okay. Bye, everybody. Listen to the stories of Tinseltown.